Chapter Four of Arctic, a study of the marvels of the North Pole, by Anna Adolph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. Knowest thou the house? On columns rest its pile, its halls are gleaming, and its chambers smile. Goethe. Waking early. My prayer goes up to God, with my whole consciousness born intact. So when we miss a link to our self-calculated program of events, we look to Him, the holder of the links of us, His marionettes below. Charlie rushes in with a bundle. I speak. Are you up, dear, and not sorry that we came? I haven't time get up and see your new dress i sit up invisible garments he explains i hurry to him to find only the usual feathered robes that intent and style give all an appearance of the feathered tribe tufted cap and sweeping train wing sleeves with which could we fly we would be the angels we are called but where is the invisible i inquire dressed like everybody else not visible because not conspicuous settles that problem i take the hint and hastily get into the suit assigned me but not as quick as he for he is dressed and out and down the hall while i admire myself in the glittering ice mirror walls vanity for a moment overcoming homesickness to forget that such an unhuman-like attire though beautiful in heaven's songsters is more beautiful even in a civilized american inbound saucy <laughs> that is what we nickname may where is my dress here she is soon in it her flowing hair making her a canary bowing to me in mockery she says we belong here now where is charlie looking around gone out i reply i am going to catch him so am i she calls him charlie because i do and that he is not her uncle nor am i her aunt which she uses in lieu of anna running out so hastily we run smack into the arms of show-off which we immediately see is not him but probably his father from the likeness who grasps us in each hand holding us out for inspection saying i have caught two little birds that have flown to me like pigeons i wish we could fly home again we have no cage here only freedom so now i let you go suiting the action to the word cordial as sedate i watch him as he walks down the hall and disappears in trying to find charlie we find ourselves in the city street may dear today is sunday let us find a church as we inspect the various houses we select a large domed enclosure as a temple to god 
stepping to its crystal doors, it opens itself to us. Within is a rest scene. Standing or sitting, all look serene, as sacred dreamy notes of melody fill the air, flower-perfumed. A soothing sense of peace takes possession of us. Instead of high altar, Hebraic or idol, or Hindu custom, a lady and gentleman are passing among the people, speaking kind admonitions, solemn adoration, or cheering responses. I reflect, this may be their manner of service. The lady passing us, who I see as our hostess, chucks us under the chin playfully, saying, Sweets, have you come to court? Court? I thought it was a church, I explain. What is a church? she asks. Where we pray to God. Oh, we should do that everywhere. The earth is his court. This is only an ark court. As she passes on, I still think it a church. Auntie, some are dancing, do you see? I did. She tried the step in childish glee. Is it a church dance? A worship mode suitable to the Arctic locality? How the Unitarians and Catholics would enjoy it. But I, my Emmy founder Asbury was lame, so could not dance, therefore we preach it down. Saucy as Episcopal sees no harm. But now she pulls me out and waltzes me around. I had learned the art before I joined the M.E.'s. The glow of circulation raises my spirit to a desire to shout. I do so in M.E. denominational style, solacing my conscience so far. Soon it pricks again. When tired and resting, I study out the scripture of this new service. Would Jesus, if here, adapt a sermon to its beneficial principles, as he had done to baptism, bath, to the crowds drawn to the riverside, for the purpose obligatory in their sweltering climate? Are not all church rites illustrative of adaptations of the one worship, spirit, and truth? These thoughts adding so much of scriptural interpretation of new modes, adding, therefore, new programs to my former stereotyped observances, I become at first slightly confused, but reserve my settled decision until I have farther and more deeply weighed the subject. Until then, I wonder. What is best for us to do in such a church as this? I turn as I speak aloud, to see Charlie by my side, who has overheard all and coaches me. Do? Make the earth a church, as these people do. The noon hour arrived. Refreshments of light and solid food are passed to all. Not having gotten over the impression of its being a church, 
May, who had not questioned the explanation, turns and says, Auntie, it is a sacrament. The little gum-paste cups hold drink. I do not think it will harm me. A sacrament? Would that all churches would give each Sunday as substantial a one to Jesus' sheep and lambs, which are the poor, who go poorly fed all the week. Seeing how strangely people sit down, by some contrivance or stiffness in their back drapery, I try my own, and being successful, am quite at ease, as I eat prayerfully until satisfied. Then, looking around at the beaming social faces, I suddenly take a distrust and grasp May's hand. Child, this is a saloon! In great trepidation. No, Auntie, she replies firmly. No one is drunk or disorderly. It may be a hotel. Show-off pulls my sleeve. I turn to him in benignant, grave demeanor, causing him to step back in wonder and gracious deference. We are Americans. I want to know, have you a president? He looks wistfully at us, to brighten soon, and ask, uh, Do you mean your God? My mother is goddess this year. Aunt Robert takes her place when she is away visiting. I study out the whole problem. This wayside sitting-room is a courthouse, a saloon, the latter purified, and a church in one. I am quite converted, and wish ours at home would become the same. But Charlie, who is still by my side, impatiently waiting to get my full attention, remarks jokingly, Little folks should keep out of the parlors. Parlor? How do you know this is the parlor? I am sure I walked some distance to get here. I reply evasively. But this palace occupies some distance. You will have to look farther for a church, if there is one at all. Wait until you are better acquainted. But tonight we will attend the mask, meditatively. Mask? What can you imagine to be that home dissipation in this cold and pure and pure as cold city? Certainly less advanced. I hope less perverted section of the earth. But that it is Sunday, I would accompany you to investigate for missionary purposes. I reply devoutly. Well, it will last a week. There is no hurry. As he leaves me free to muse. So utterly definite in dissimilarity are all things here. Arts, amusements, devotions etc. I do not expect to encounter social dangers in similar guise, but must guard as conscientiously from evil under new guise. Show-off, our attending friend, does make so remarkable blunders in his attempt to apply our cultured phrases, 
I quite despair to get out of him by question what I wish to know. I reflect deeply. What can their church be? Can it be in happy unison, as is this human social church, to wit, parlor? Presently, I recollect that here is but one city, one people, allowing one church to be feasible. What about different races, who have different forms of devotion, that to them take the place of religion or its comparative manifestation? though religion itself is solely an act of the heart. I imagine present before me in this heterogeneous crowd. A Catholic crosses himself, a shaker shakes, a dervish howls. Buddhists, Mahometans, and Confucians appear. Closing my eyes, I wonder, could they not, one and all, do their several forms in the same building, the same free-for-all church in the same free-for-all country, trading and walking together with mutual respect, why not worship also? I look around and see Charlie coming back. He stops short at my expression. What are you now conjuring up? he asks. I told, a church where all kinds of people worship in one building. Very good. When we get back home, we will get one up. Call it a church fair or carnival of churches. Each and all sects to have a booth of their own. The Hindus would put up an ox as a symbol. The Mohammedans, what, a goat? The Jews a sheep, the Christians a lamb, the Chinese a roast pig, Egyptians a cat, other pagans somewhere a snake, taken altogether an animal fair. And as all have good points, even a snake, Americans would accept all, and could, by protecting each, make them a happy family. As a cat and dog of one family live in peace under one roof, and the church symbolic animals in one farmyard, so could the principles they symbolize aid in its several good, in one church building. I look prayerfully to him and say regretfully, But you do not believe that Jesus is coming back. Yes, I do, he replies. Then is he coming, for this is he waiting. Peace on earth among the churches. Upon the cross his arms were spread to reach around the earth, to join all churches in peace, which is brotherhood, children of God, Father. What would the Jews say to that? They started it before Jesus. The Jewish high priest Hillel composed the prayer, Our Father. Yes, but he meant it only for the Jews. Well, he can still be a Jew in the New World Church, and walked away briskly. I muse. Where would be my father's place, 
as he is an infidel in this many-sected or membered church. Would Jesus enfold him as a neighbor of kind heart? I think so. Entirely rejoicing in this selection of God's following, I charmingly ask Show-Off, who now appears, How long do these churches hold open? Always, with gods as relief. You mean ministers. But does nobody work? Yes, at the schools until noon. What? Half of time for God instead of seventh? Can the millennium have come here? Has, most likely, no one told them of the Sabbath, one day of seven? Well, we can keep both, certainly our Sabbath, and explain to these people why we do. One question more. Have you jails in this city? What do you do to people vicious in hot anger? He turns partly to me to see what I am asking. Then, understanding me, he answers gravely, Freeze them. Aunt Robert, now off duty, takes charge of us, conducting us to her sitting room. But two days pass, in which we endeavor to learn the Ark language, as none except the three already mentioned can converse with us, when Charlie brings forth the mask. Oh, yes, but it cannot be a ball nor a domino party. I am curious at your idea, if it is beneficial and delightful as what I have already seen, I will be pleased to participate. I reply cautiously to my gentle mate, who, devoted to social assembly and believing ennobling dancing as consistent as ennobling singing, he has no patience with my doubts. What am I to do? I ask in prayer. Silent, a gentle whisper breathes in answer. It is one of the ten talents. Beware of letting it rust. One of talents loaned us of God, and not a sin of the world? Or are the sins of the world perverted use of honorable talents, to be redeemed by us by honorable use? its omission of condemnation. Can I burnish and enlarge my consecration to thee, O God, in gay circles? Dost thou truly love also happy faces? At the hall we don our costumes and are shown into a green bower, so banked with trees, shrubs, and plants, there seem no space for guests. These I soon discover in costume everywhere about. I discover also, much relieved, that the object is educational only, to put us in touch with the least of these that God noteth. A huge butterfly lights in front of me, greeting me cordially. So like a host I feel quite at home as a concourse of bugs, bees, and insects arise around, 
with waving wings, until I think I never saw before so moving a sight. A bee hummed in my ear, a sound like Charlie, a mosquito song in glee, a note like saucy, a wasp with saucy eyes, show-off, moths in the windows, locusts in shady nooks, and a cricket adds its refrain. Sitting upon a scarlet ottoman, it moves off on its four feet, a live cochineal. Standing under an umbrella tree, I was darned by a needle to a branch. A hopper hopped to a sheaf of wheat, ladybugs minced, graybeards stalked around. A black-coated beetle handed me, as a weevil, a rose conserve, saying, A flower for you. I accepted it, making room for him by my side. But soon the hostess, bringing me a big bug, who asked a promenade, replying to him, May be. The beetle gets up and snaps spitefully away. I could see no harm as the hour passed swiftly, teaching us a social sympathy with this insect realm of the Creator, who now, as I apply my mind, talent, to them, have always, as us, displayed love of their kind, dislike of pain, and gratefulness to benefactors. The younger danced in buoyant evidence of youthful being, the elder in touch with their delight. I saw no harm, and wished that all dancing in America could be so eminently cultivating in bodily exercise and polite demeanor. The rooms are now close. We did not stay late to become weary. Returning, I discover I have acquired a home interest. I see an enclosed balcony greenhouse that line the fronts of the buildings, filled with ferns and foliage, new to me, that the sun is marvelously unfolding. They seem to grow up from the ground that must be far beneath the snow, and clinging to the ice-block wall, do not wither, for an enamel surface on the walls prevents. I then perceive why the late deep snow has spared them, snow that has been let down in covered trenches. Charlie is going to pompously interview me. You are not so dreadfully horrified, I see. There are, you see, different grades of parties. At this you were intellectually amused and socially edified. I wonder this people do not drink. I must teach them the thickening of wine-blood. Slightly wavering. Thickening of wine-tongue and brain. How did any human being ever adopt it? I earnestly believe it was water and not wine that Jesus recommended. That has been mistakenly translated. That being plain God's design. I speak prophetically. Dear, he says, you are right. I will let the people here be temperate, thus, I believe, more enjoyable. 
Then, coming close to me, he says, I was at the party to protect you in safety of ease, you know. So give me that due for your unrestrained mirth. He is so autocratic in his manly assertions, I become slightly overawed, when Showoff, who has had no lessons of him to regard his dignity, comes up and snaps his ears playfully. The fire darts from his eyes, but I quickly make peace, using his own words. You see? It is all right. Do not be awed. Thus quickly everywhere, wrath arises innocently, to burn often in high flame, to indict some deed of evil intent. Seeing Charlie still cross, I converse with Showoff, ask him where my father is, that I have missed these three days. Has he found your father's room, and is he quite happy? Quite! You will never get him again. Meaning that I am substituted. This talk, though rather un-English in phrase, is so intentionally jolly, I become quite familiar. So ask, dear Showoff, why did the sweet Aunt Robet never get married? She is going to be, when her lover comes down, out of the sky. This mysterious news sets Charlie off into a roar of laughter, so I proceed. What does he do in the sky? Ride about on a star? Yes, and fishes down below with a line for pastime. I look warily each side of me. When is he coming down? When the signs are right. We expected him at the outing. Since then, we are unhappy. In this lovable manner does he couple himself with his relative's heart, who now approaches, and his snap is repeated upon her glowing cheek. But she, as Charlie, gets cross, and he comes back to me. I suddenly miss Saucy, to see her flaxen hair dangling out of his sleeve and know that it is she, in childish fashion, who had done the snapping to our disconcertment. Laughing at the innocent cause of war, I turn aside to enter the court which we are passing. Saucy seeing, drops out of her nest and hugs close to my side. The rest proceed in peace. Ain't it nice, Auntie, to have a church to step into all the week? You feel so safe to stop in such a place. No one expects us to buy something, or read something, or talk something. I wonder if they take up a collection. If not, the tax supports it. I do not believe they know what money is, though certainly they do its equivalent, work. We must find the shops and select some work ourselves. Then, as Saucy mutters to herself, What a queer people! No fire, no dishes, no money, no Sunday, no schools. 
I look around at the delightfully intelligent as delightfully happy countenances. Though the majority are lying comfortably back in their drapery supports and fast asleep. This seems to be the rest hour, and I, as Saucy lays her head in my lap, also go to dreamland. In a vision, a mighty angel descends from God, down through the open dome, and takes us by our wingtips to carry us off. Hoping it is to America, I keep my eyes closed in expectation until an unusual jar involuntarily opens them, showing the angel to be Show-Off, who has deposited us safely at home on a cushion by the side of Robet. Half uncertain, as half awake, I hum to myself the tune of Home Sweet Home, when Robet gets down by me and, swelling her throat, warbles forth like a bird of paradise an entrancing melody, soothing me again to slumbers. I awake in high fever, at least so I am told, weeks after, when I sit raised on a cushion and am able to talk. Yes, Auntie, says May, when you were in delirium, you talked such strange talk. You raised up once and asked us, what is in heaven? I humored you and said, Golden Streets. But you shook your head wildly and waved your hand, saying, No, no, golden ice. The sun shines all night to make it. While all regard me lovingly, a golden point of light enters the room, dropping at my feet, causing consternation in the rest. Show-off hurries out and brings a tablet. Reading it, they point excitedly to me. The sunburst growing, they gaze in stupor. Not until it lessens and departs do they regain composure. When I ask, What is it? Robet answering, A prophecy, this sign that has never been just this way before, heralds a new era in Ark a new people a new land the latter a necessity as ark is just evenly full my overbalanced visionary tendency becomes imbued with a new power i rise in the air spiritually out of the open dome ascend to the high-posted golden points still glowing my soul having left material enclosure in the center, and look down a cavity miles wide in extent, whence drops the last golden ray. A black cloud receives it, a glint of silver lining, and all is opaque. I open my eyes to see Savant added to the circle. He was called, maybe, at my faint. But what is strange? He seems to know where I had spiritually gone, and more, is expecting some revelation from me. I only slowly shake my head when he abruptly turns away. My new spiritual power says of him, He is the greatest of living men. 
I note where he disappears, to sometimes search him out. The new telepathic condition I had suddenly gone into does not entirely leave me, but takes a new form, that of outwardly statue or marble state. Seeming cold and rigid to others, I see intuitively into their minds, read their thoughts and wishes. I am conscious at times of miraculous ability, as though I could put forth my hand and command, omniscient-like. As Robot tenderly teaches us arcways and diversions, I see the adaptation and foreknowledge, and surprise her and the rest, so that they are getting in awe of me, and are carefully respectful of my person. End of chapter 4